0: Welcome to the Runner's World Show. I'm David Willey, editor in chief of Runner's World. And between last episode and now, I've been to China and back. Running is booming in the world's most populous country, and I'm looking forward to sharing some of the audio stories I recorded when I was there. But first, this week, we're featuring November Project, the grassroots fitness movement started by a couple of college buddies five years ago that has grown into 30 cities around the world. I interviewed the co-founders, Brogan Graham and Boyan Mandarich, in Boston during Marathon weekend. They didn't set out to start a worldwide fitness movement. Really, all they wanted to do was motivate each other to stay fit through a cold Boston winter. But soon they were doing incredibly hard, incredibly fun workouts that feature hugs and F-bombs and amazing positivity with hundreds of runners. But first, we'll take you out on one of those workouts on an early Friday morning in Boston. And editor Katie Knights will explain why the social aspects and the accountability and the community of these kinds of workouts are so powerful in terms of motivation and fitness.
1: Murder eyes, murder whisper. Repeat after me. Ah.
2: Ah. Ah. I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we're here. I'm glad 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 we're here. here. Now
1: stop bouncing all together. Good morning. Good Good morning. Y'all good? Yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear.
3: I'm Katie Knights, an editor with The Runner's World. I cover a lot of cross-training and motivational stories for runners. Getting up at the crack of dawn can be really tough, especially if it's cold and dark out. But it's a lot easier if you have a group of people waiting for you.
4: And I'm Brian Dalek. Those chants sound a little cult-like, but as someone who got up at 6.30 in the morning to try this, it was strangely uniting. What you can't hear is the whole group... About 250 people on this Friday morning had their arms wrapped around each other. Now, since we were
1: doing that weird side hug thing, I'm not a big fan of that. Let's try to give three solid bear hugs.
4: And, of course, I joined in. I gave three giant bear hugs to strangers before I even had my morning coffee.
3: That's one reason the November Project is so successful. People feel accountable. You're less likely to sleep in. Back off your pace or skip out on the last hill repeat because you have people around you supporting you.
2: Yeah,
1: we have fun here every Friday morning. Uh, But make sure you come back on Monday, too, because that's what it's all about. Today's workout is full hills. (gasps) Yes, dog, that's correct. Full Hills with Stair Spice. Yes!
3: Yes. I know!
1: I know we just just ran (laughs) stairs on Wednesday, but we're doing it again, because why not? It's FaceTime.
4: FaceTime. High fives in between. You gotta love it. That's Chris Payne. He's one of the leaders of the Boston November Project. And you heard everybody groan because... The workouts they do, they're challenging. This morning, we're not only doing hill repeats for about 45 minutes, but for a little extra flavor, we're going to have to do stairs in the middle of that. And it's a lot of stairs. Here's Payne explaining the workout
1: run down the, the big side, back up, uh, down the steps. So there's a, it's called Summit Pass. Uh, people are going to start taking down and they run all the way down to Beacon Street uh, and then back up. And then you come down this side and this 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 hill on this side's a little shorter. Uh, but then, yeah, you basically just loop that as many times as you can until we call it time. You got this,
3: you got this. There you go. That's what's so great about the November project. They mix things up. A lot of runners get together with a partner or a running club, and they do the same route at the same pace, week after week, month after month, year after year. With November Project, they're throwing a lot at you. You get stairs, you get hills, you get burpees, you get jump squats and bear crawls. It's strength training in disguise. And strength training is something that a lot of runners neglect.
1: The stadium workout is a a beast of its own though, uh, in that you can't sit, sit right the rest of the day. Like, you can't train for it. It's something that, like, you come and, and if you've been running it every week for the last however many months, you kind of get better at it. It never gets easy, but you kind of get better at it. And, like, if it's your first time, it's going to kick your ass no matter what.
4: I was fortunate enough to escape the burpees and the jump squats and the planks and the bear crawls. But they're staples of their workouts for good reason.
3: Studies show that explosive plyometric moves like jump squats and burpees can build strength and power in runners that can make you faster. Other exercises like planks and bear crawls are really important because they build core strength. Adding these exercises to your routine only once or twice a week can make you a better runner.
4: But for as hard as these workouts are, you can see how people get addicted.
5: Nice, job. nice work, friends. Let's
4: Here's the pain again. It's like kind of shocking. Like
1: I have a lot of friends that like know I come to November Project and do it all the time, and they think it's like twelve of us that like show up like regularly, and they're like, "Yeah, you're dedicated." Blah blah. And then like every now and then I'll be like, "Yeah," so there are like three hundred people at the stadium, and they're like, "Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Three
4: hundred people at six? It's like, yeah. Even November Project regulars who aren't working out in the morning they'll still get up and they'll come and push everybody
5: else. I'm not running today because I'm running on Monday, so I just came to cheer and get some inspiration. That's George Woodward. Come on now, here we go.
3: Come on, here we go. You got it. You look good. The group has a spirit of encouragement and celebration. They're not there to compete against each other. It's all positive.
4: There are even writings in chalk as you do these hills with inspirational messages halfway up. Sayings like, you are awesome.
5: You know, a big part of it is the group and the people and and the accountability. So it, it works out really well into my training. It fits in the schedule. And I have a lot of fun doing it.
3: It sounds intense, but November Project's for everyone. Newbies, ultramarathoners, and everyone in between. The group workouts are always set up in a way that fast people and slower people can mix in together. Everyone's there just to support each other and push each other to get a really hard workout.
4: Right, and while we were there, we met this runner named Natalie. She was actually training for her first half.
3: Oh, it's, it, it just fills you up.
4: Like, it just inspires you to just keep... Just keep going, pushing yourself. I, I was, you know, I'm, I'm 42. I have four kids, and I never saw myself as an athlete. But I just keep on going. I just keep on pushing, and,
6: you know. Um, I love November Project!
4: <laughs> there was a lot of that. Here's Runners Road editor Christine Fennessy after the workout.
6: Wow.
3: That was serious business. I was not expecting that. No, I was like, whoa, those stairs keep going down. <laughs> and then you gotta turn it and go I up.
4: And... <laughs> there are 30 cities where November Project tribes exist. You can even apply to create your own tribe at November Project.com.
3: But you don't have to be an official member to inject more fun and energy into your own group runs. All you need to do is grab a running buddy and you can do some of the November Project's signature workouts. Their best stuff is featured in our June issue.
4: And we're not saying never do long runs again.
3: Right. All we're saying is throw in a November Project workout once a week, maybe once a month. You'll be surprised how much more fun you have as a group and how much better you feel as a runner.
0: It was a November Project workout in Brookline, Massachusetts, just outside Boston, the Friday before the marathon. I wasn't there that day, but I have done that workout several times and lots of others. And the thing about November Project is you don't really get it until you just show up, as they say. I first heard about November Project at the New Balance Party on Friday night in 2013 before the Boston Marathon, some Runner's World colleagues had gone, and they were blabbing about how hard the workout was and running this hard hill. And it was so early in the morning, and there were hundreds of people there, and they were hugging, and it was more fun than they've ever had doing a workout. And I was kind of thinking, okay, yeah, that sounds interesting, and I, I just, it, I needed to check it out for myself. And then, of course, the bombs went off on Boylston Street that Monday. And the November Project became a distant memory until I went back to Boston several weeks later to follow up on the bombing story and also to do my first November Project workout, that very same one that we just heard in Brookline. Since then, I've done Stadium Stairs. I've run with tribes in New York City and Los Angeles. And I, too, am a convert. Brogan and Boyan are also authors now. And November Project is now a book. In fact, that's the title, November Project, the book, which Brogan and Boyan co-wrote with Caleb Daniloff. And it's published by Rodale, which is the parent company of Runner's World. At first, I have to say I wasn't sure that November Project could even work as as a book. But these guys have pulled it off. It captures the ethos and the spirit and the fun and the intensity of what November Project is all about. And it also explains how you, regardless of where you live, even if you're not in a November Project City, can create these kinds of workouts for yourself. A few hours after that workout in Brookline, I caught up with Brogan and Boyan to talk about the movement they started, what makes it so important to them and to the tribe members, and where they're headed next. So Brogan Graham, Boyan Mandarich, otherwise known as the co-founders of November Project. Here we are, Boston Marathon Weekend, 2016, five years, five years after you guys started November Project, is that right? That's right. That's right. Just one month in November 2011. Did you ever have any glimmer of an idea that when you guys started this thing, right, that has become... A worldwide sensation. Thirty cities you're in now. Right. Thirty cities. But when it started, did you have any idea that it, it would be what it has become today? This this thing started as
2: as just a fun way to carve out a little part of our day, the morning, which is tough. But it was just supposed to be one month. You know, it was supposed to be that first month of November, and so with a shared google document which you have to give a title to so we called it november project and we painted a couple shirts and we thought we were hilarious we did get fitter and we did become warning people and and from there that's that was just the beginning and and then tribes began to you know that we were friends with at northeastern or family began to crop up in other cities and um kept aiming at this world takeover, this idea of kindness and hard work for free in any weather we thought those were
0: ingredients that could be kind of executed all around the world so what makes a November Project workout different?
5: It's the community. It's the vibe. It's the fun and interesting spin to the workout. Let's, let's use Boston as an example. Wednesday morning, 630, we run up and down Harbor Stadium. But every other week, we do something different. So um, our last Wednesday of the month is a PR day, so we run full tour as fast as we can. There's uh, what we call a Frogman 1, which is 50 sections. The full tour of the stadium is 37, so this is a little bit of a more volume, but less um, intensity. But then there are things that, that we do. We call it a fire drill when you know we bring bells and whistles, and when we start making noise, everybody needs to drop down and start doing push-ups. And the reason for that know is that you know, we're too obsessed with our watches and how fast we're running, so this is kind of taking away from that, well, am I going to do this in 35 minutes or 37 minutes? Well, now you're going to do push-ups, so it doesn't matter how fast you're going to do it. So um, so that's a little bit same thing with Friday workouts, you know, running up and down a hill. That's pretty much it. But we throw in a spice like stair spice this morning or, um, you know, we do burpees. These are just the things to make things fun and interesting. But it's also
0: what happens when you're not running, right? It, it's your guys' presence. It's your energy. It's it's how people connect. It's it's really it's the hugs. Is it not?
2: Uh, well, you know, I, we we have this thing where we do say that we are huggers, not handshakers, and it's pretty much required. Um, I would say, you know, I would answer that with what makes it different. I mean, I think the creativity of what we call co-leaders in these cities. I mean, they are not trainers, they're not coaches, they're just we call them co-leaders. They're leaders in their community, and they they take the reins and they make their workouts sure hard and they make them scalable and all those like dorky athletic ways of talking about workouts but they make them fun they're undeniably fun they are probably a little silly and with this vibe and these smiles that are happening it looks like adult recess where it's like boy and said okay you're doing burpees, so you got to turn your watch off and you got to pay attention to your neighbor and make eye contact with strangers and be kind and hug and then start your day and i think that is a big piece of why people keep coming back i mean there's equal or maybe even better workouts in town. But we're definitely having the most fun.
0: So looking back, what are what are a few of your just favorite memories of either here in Boston or any other tribe that that you guys have started in the past several years? What stands out when when you look back five years later? I mean, my favorite
2: workout of all my favorite workout of all time was in 2012. I think it was August. And it was hot. It's probably 80 or more degrees out. And it was coming down harder than any rain I've ever been in, like in any world travels and here in Boston at the Harvard Stadium. And we always say that in these when the conditions are weird, we get the weirdest group because they're the people that look out the window and they're like, oh, oh, oh this is gonna be good. So it's almost like the opposite, right? And so the group was probably still ninety or a hundred people strong. And um it was coming down so hard that we had to meet kind of underneath the stadium and then we went up in there. And um, there's two things that I remember about that workout that were just really, really upbeat, was that the bottom step had completely filled with water. So like little kids two feet into a puddle, every single one of these adults at recess were jumping in and going for a big splash at the bottom of every section, which I thought was cool. And then almost like <clears throat> Mother Nature was kind of screwing with us a little bit, really quickly the rain shut off, like in, in, in the matter of two seconds. And everyone started booing every one of the hundred people started just booing and then like they're looking at the sky and then as if we were like requesting you know bring me another brew 30 seconds later it came back just as hard and people started cheering I mean it was like and I'll never forget it I'll never ever forget I just remember thinking at that time and that was when there was no other cities it was just Boston I remember thinking whatever this is is it's gonna go some kind of a long haul I don't know what that's gonna look like but that's one of my favorite workout memories
0: so what what does that tell you guys about why people come to join November project? I mean obviously they 're coming to do a workout. they want to get fit, yeah, but it 's more than that
2: I think this whole this whole word community, people overuse it, and I think that it's just kind of sprinkled on everything. but you know from our parents' generation and definitely our grandparents generation, there has been a lack in community and and whether that's you know people less and less people going to church or whatever it is, like people still want to interact with people. I just think that. Every single next iPhone that comes out, we get worse and worse at it, right? And, and our skills just aren't up to par. And so when we get to be the goofballs that say everyone turn and give a big bear hug, people kind of groan and pretend like they don't want to. But I think people really do. And I also think it's crazy that people sit around and talk about, well, I'm thinking about moving to San Francisco. I love New York. And I, love, I love Dallas is great. People are drawn to cities for the people and the culture. But then we all get here and the subway train is quiet. Right. And, and you, you, you stand at a bus stop or, or you're, you know, you're at the bar waiting for, to meet a friend and no one's really talking to each other. And I think that if we set up a scene with these workouts, people get to have community like a full dose, a heavy dose. If they want a, the full participation, they'll come away with friends for life. A lot of people are, you know, we have a, uh, countless people that show up to November Project and then end up dating and sometimes even get married. I mean, it, it's changing community. I think that when people talk about November Project, it's the community that they keep coming back for.
0: It is so interesting, though, because you you talked about social media, and you guys are so good at social media. You take pictures during the workouts, and you post them that next day, and those get shared by the tribe, right, on and on and on. It's a big part of what you do. But as you said, it's that same smartphone. It's technology that sometimes prevents us from connecting with each other in person. So November Project seems to be this hybrid of using technology but not overusing it and still making sure that the point – is the personal, the one-on-one, or one-on-300 yeah, yeah. actual connection, But and that social media can be a vehicle for preserving and, and promoting that. How, yeah. do, do, is that intentional, or did you guys kind of stumble on that sort of duality of
5: how to use technology without overusing it? It definitely wasn't intentional. It was, um, and early on someone asked asked me, would we be as successful if there wasn't for social media? And I strongly believe yes. I strongly believe yes. I think social media helped us grow quicker, no doubt about it. But um, we like to say that we bring relationships that are created online to offline and cherish them offline. And, uh, you know, if we didn't have Twitter or Facebook, that word would spread by just word of mouth or through, you know, whatever – medium people would be using but um social media is definitely amplifying the message but i think that the the interactions and we can dr- we can drag you to the workout for the first time if we tweet at you right but you keep coming back not because you saw that tweet again or whatever like you the experience that you had at the workout is what brings you back so um yeah definitely social media and technology help But it's the human interactions that and goes back to what Brogan said about, um, you know, the, the need to have that community, need to have the interactions that by this world of technology we're living in are kind of disappearing.
0: The leaders are so important. So as you are taking over the world and now in 30 cities, how do you guys do that? How do you handle it knowing how important the leaders in these in these tribes really are?
5: Yes, you're 100% right. The leaders are very, very important. We hold ourselves, or when we used to lead, we we held ourselves in really high regards to um, the accountability, to be consistently be at workouts, to always provide the best workout that we can at the time. And we're looking for leaders that can do the same thing. And it sounds pretty insane when you're looking at volunteers, but... There are very few people, and that's why we're not in hundred cities. Because the cities that we're opening are the cities that we're super proud of, with the leaders that are definitely leading from the from the front of the pack. They're some of the fittest people within the tribe. Um, they're definitely the most charming, the funniest people that you know that can motivate and talk to a person in front of the pack and person in back of the pack and relate to all of them. Um, people that are just. Funny, but serious, and don't take themselves too seriously. And then the last one is just genuinely good human beings, people that we would want to hang out with and drink beers with. There now is November Project,
0: The Book, which you guys wrote with Caleb Danilov, who's who's one of the tribe members here in Boston. The book is useful, and it's inspiring, and it's a really fun read. And it's not easy to bring what you guys have created to life in print because it's so experiential right, and it 's about the people that you're with in that moment and the things that you're doing together, but the book really does a good job of that. One of my favorite parts is is the glossary of terms at the end, so I want to just run through a few of these and have you have you uh, explain them and maybe uh, illustrate
5: them a little bit um,
0: for listeners so um p r pizza
5: well when when we had Three people, so it was Brogan and I, too, plus f- our first recruit. Uh, her name is Sarah Wilds. She came to the workout, and she kind of came through the exit and came outside. And she was like, she was just staring at two of us. And we're like, you're here for November. And she said, November Project. And we're like, no way.
2: This is the best.
5: <laughs> we were so stoked. So stoked. So we, we think Harbor Stadium is really hard. And Harbor Stadium is really hard workout. And um, and every time, even to, to this day, when we bring on a newbie, we tell him you you should do half the tour because we want you to walk tomorrow. We want you to come back. Full tour is very challenging. What we didn't know is that this gal was um, and still to this day one of the best athletes that has been training with us. And she took that as a challenge. She almost like, "What are you talking about? You you jerks!" Yeah, like, it's almost like we're talking down,
2: right? yeah. yeah.
5: So so, BG said, if you run under 30 minutes, which is a very respectable time for the full tour, I will buy you a pizza. She's like, I don't care about pizza, but it's on. So she did it in like 20 and a half minutes, which is very, very respectful. Some people that have been training with us for years are still not there. And uh, she did it on her first try, and it was very, very cool to see. So next workout, she came and Brogan showed up with, uh, with pizza. So that was a PR pizza. So early on, we would do... We would give out pizzas and we would pay out of our pockets for some frozen pizzas. They would pick up a local store or like early on at 5 a.m., whatever is open, which is usually like a gas station. And we would just kind of pick up a couple slices of pizza and just bring them and give them out to people. As group continued to grow, we start realizing this is not sustainable. So we partnered up with a local pizza shop that... Um, just so they can cover some cost, your PR time was actually the price that you're going to pay for the pizza. So if you run, let's say, in 35 minutes, you're going to pay $3.50 for for your pie. And, you know, it was great for them. It was great for us. And it was, it was kind of like a fun adventure. But even then, as we continued to grow more and more, it just became unsustainable, so we scratched it. But that's PR pizza. What's a verbal?
2: A verbal is a binding agreement uh if you ask someone if they're going to come to the next november project workout and they say yes it's it's usually best to to, to ask them to, the more clear question is is that a verbal and that that means that you're you're bound to your promise of being there this was actually pretty early on boyan wanted to do a uh, a wall of shame because it was hard to get people to come in the morning people would say they had great intentions about the morning but it's hard to actually get there uh, we were gonna call it the Wall of Shame, and Emily Boyan's wife said, "If you guys ever put me on the Wall of Shame, I would kill you. Don't call it that." So we called it the We Miss You Page. And so almost all, and they have this rhythm about them where they start off talking usually with some really embarrassing photos that we pull off Facebook, and then it turns into like this nice rhythm of like just trash talking, trash talking, and then it finishes with, "But in the
0: end of the day, David, we just we missed you, right?" So it kind of like has a nice hook at the end. So you mentioned the Hill in Brookline. That's where you've had a little bit of uh, public relations diplomacy, yeah. right, had, have, to, have to occur over the years. First, with some of, uh, some of the neighbors, as this group grew on this Hill in Brookline, weren't necessarily thrilled that you guys were there at 630 in the morning, right? <laughs> Hundreds of people running up and down their Hill. So right. what, what, what was that like, and how did you guys handle that diplomacy? Yeah, so I, I think it was, a t- it was a tough one. Officer Brother, shout out.
2: He came out and actually wrote. He gave us a warning, written warning, and I think I think he that was like when we had like a hundred some people, and I I respectfully told him I was like, he's like don't come back next week, and I, I said you know officer, you know we're going to be back next week. Uh, we've got to kind of learn to live together, and he was like if you come back next week I'm gonna write you a citation, and he came back next week and we came back next week, and I think what was happening is like one kind of grump was calling from the neighborhood, and it's not like we were super loud, we were pretty loud, but uh, I think they called it in. He showed up. Wrote us like a hundred dollar citation. He said, "If you come back next week, it's going to be three hundred dollars." And I, I remember saying to him, "I was like, please don't take this the wrong way, but we will see you next week." And, um, and I don't want to be—we're not defining defining the law, uh, but anyway. So, the next week he came back and it was a little bit more of an approach of like, "Let's figure this out. How we're going to?" And the actual like kind of lay of the land, the law of the land in Brookline is there's a sound ordinance uh, that goes until seven a.m. We meet at six twenty-nine. We dodged the $300 uh, citation just by kind of saying, hey, guys, we're going to keep it down until (laughs) 7. And then almost like the stroke of midnight on New Year's Eve, it's like 7 o'clock. You can hear hear it turn 7 in our group. But I think what really brought it all kind of together, even for the folks that were a little bit less than excited about what we were doing, was, um, you know, there were some handwritten notes. There were some cookies dropped off up and down the street. Like our our people, and a a lot of these ideas came from Boyan, were – uh, we, we did what we could to appease them. And in a couple of snowstorms that happened on Thursdays and Thursday nights, we told everyone to bring shovels. And the workout became a partner workout where we're if you're not shoveling, you run in hills and you tag your partner and take the shovel and then they run. And we did sidewalks on both sides and driveways and shoveled out people's cars before they were even awake. And so I think that helped win over the people in Brookline to the point where I think the vast majority of the people these days that live on Summit Ave are pretty psyched to see us. So there's probably a handful of folks that just live on that hill or just on an off-street that are, like, they're, now they're proud November Project. Oh, so, so that's happening? Yeah. are coming out now and joining the workout? So it's like now it's kind of killing them with kindness. And then, like, they've become one of us. And they
0: get it. Yeah. So you guys are you're growing up. <laughs> you're, you're married, Brogan. Yeah. You became a dad recently, born, You, you and Emily have, have a daughter. Does it still feel like this fun thing that you started to, to you? How, how does it fit into a more grown up life when you have mature responsibilities? I'd say it is,
2: it gets more fun. And it gets, it's like life it gets more fun and more difficult, November Project. I mean, we have dream jobs you know, this is this is a guy that I used to race boats with at Northeastern, and now this is like the best friend in the world. You know, I mean, it's like it's, if you run with someone five days a week, Monday through Friday, you get the small talk out of the way, and then you get to really know somebody. It's funny, like, yeah, I was always scared about getting old. You know, that was my one, he asked me one day on a run in the wintertime, in our first winter. He said, what are you scared of? And I said, I'm scared of getting old. Because I didn't want to be able to not do things and not see the world and not travel, and I thought families kind of nailed you down. But, you know, here we are with a mob of positivity and, and a movement that's as healthy and strong as ever. And I think that
5: November project is keeping us fresh. What do you think Boyan? I think that for me, I'm not scared of getting old, but I am excited. What November project is doing for me from like the personal growth perspective. And yes, some of that comes with maturity and some of that comes with becoming a father or being married for seven years. Very happily, I might ask. Um, but my, my biggest pride and joy is that I get to know so many amazing people. Um, some of them are members. Some of them are leaders. And I think with leaders, actually, it, what, what really excites me is sharing things that we learn the hard way. I think for me, I, I feel almost almost like an elder st- statesman, but <laughs> I don't mind it. It's cool. And there's actually Nick Stamis, a uh, member of Boston Tribe. He calls me Grandpa. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, I have a few gray hairs in my beard, but that's awesome. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the Grandpa role. I don't mind it. So do you plan to keep the workouts free? Absolutely. I think it goes without saying that. I mean, we built it on free fitness. I mean, if free fitness, it's not paid for fitness or just pay what you can fitness is free for for good um so i think that in in the book there's a a cute little coupon that would you know purchase of the book you get free membership to November project but it's true we it would it would feel dirty and gross and disgusting trying to you know all of a sudden start charging for workouts it,
0: it wouldn't be november project so brogan Boyan. Congrats on everything. Congrats on the book. Congrats on what you've been building with November Project, and more importantly, how you are building it. It's really good to hang out with you guys and, and catch up. Yeah, thanks for having us. Maybe I could just make one last request. Would you mind uh, leading us out of this segment with with a little musical entertainment,
2: Brogan? I would love to. I would love to. It's a little bit out of tune,
0: but this is a song
2: called "I Love My Dad." This is a song called "I Love My Dad." <clears throat> hang on a second.
6: It's a duet. <laughs>
2: Intro. I love my dad. I love my dad. I really, really, really love my dad.
5: Dad, I love, I love my, my dad. dad. I love my, I, I love my, my, I love, love my dad. Me.
2: Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
0: For my full interview with Brogan and Boyan, go to runnersworld.com slash audio, where you'll also find extras like photos and really cool November Project videos, as well as information on where to find November Project, the book. And now to the kick. Here's editor Brian Dalek and reporter Kit Fox.
4: A very international edition of The Kick this week. Kit, you're leading us off with what happened at the London Marathon.
6: Yeah, we'll start with the winner, Kenyan Eliud Kipchoge, who's been very dominant. He's won his past six out of seven marathons, and he almost broke the world record, missing it by only eight seconds. He finished the race in two hours, three minutes, and five seconds.
4: Yeah, fellow Kenyan, Dennis Cometo, he is the world record holder. He set that in 2014 at the Berlin Marathon. He ran a 202.57. So Kipchoge, another dominant win for him. But on the women's side... There was actually some drama near the end of the race, right,
6: Kit? Yeah, at mile 22, there was a bit of a nasty fall involving three runners. And one of those runners was Kenyan Jemima Sumgong, but she actually got up, rallied, caught the lead pack, and went on to win in two hours, 22 minutes, and 58 seconds for her first marathon major win.
4: Yeah, just a super impressive performance to get back up after a hard fall like that and go on and get the victory.
6: But there was also some great action in the middle and the back of the pack. Dozens of runners went for Guinness World Records on Sunday.
4: Yeah, and the London Marathon is famous for this. They always have someone from Guinness there to verify a lot of these crazy records and costume on the spot.
6: So we have a few favorite records that were set. One of mine is the fastest marathon dressed as a plant in the male division. Time to beat is three hours, 47 minutes, and 55 seconds. Hotly contested. There were three runners that went for that, including one named Matthew Plant.
4: Wow. Please tell me he set the record.
6: Unfortunately, no. Another runner, Lee Goodwin, really blossomed at the end of the uh, race. Geez. Three hours, two minutes, and 43 seconds.
4: So when you dress as a plant, like you're just petals and just kind of look like a plant or anything specific?
6: Yeah, most of them have their petals around the head. Uh, you know, green shirt for the stem. Mm-hmm. Uh, Guinness has specific regulations. If you're interested, you can look up those regulations when you apply for your new record.
4: Right, right. And, and, and I have a favorite and also interesting costumes. This was the fastest marathon dressed as an organ male. Um, so one guy dressed as an eyeball. So you can imagine what that. It's like a beanbag wearing that around your whole body. But another guy was dressed as
6: a prostate. So how does one even dress up as a prostate?
4: I'm glad you asked, Kit. It's, you know, a kind of a flesh-colored, imagine one of those puffy vests, but maybe deflated a little bit. So it wasn't it didn't seem like the hardest costume ever to wear, and that probably was the case because Michael Stevenson, dressed as a prostate, he ran a 3.13.20, and that easily set the record, which was 3.36.42 originally.
6: Well, congrats. You probably should put that on the resume. <laughs> And one of my other favorites moving on is the fastest marathon in an animal costume female division time to beat was 31809.
4: So what was what animal were they?
6: So a runner her name was Katie Godoff ran as a turtle.
4: Oh, that makes sense.
6: Came in though at a very unturtle like time of 3 hours 15 minutes and 39 seconds.
4: Yeah, so just a lot of kind of fun things go on at the London Marathon. You can check out all the record attempts and which ones were set on RunnersWorld.com right now. Okay, Kit, so what's next?
6: London wasn't the only place that records were set this weekend. At Sunday's Waterloo Half Marathon in Ontario, 85-year-old Ed Whitlock ran a half marathon in one hour, 50 minutes, and 47 seconds. That's an 827-minute-per-mile pace for the octogenarian.
4: Yeah, just it's awesome how he continues to run these times people half his age or a quarter of his age would love to be running. And he has so many age group records. We've covered him before. He has over 80 age group records from distances from the fifteen hundred up to the marathon and yeah just keep going ed whitlock we're always just wondering what he's going to do next okay kid so how are we finishing off the kick today
6: well brian in the annals of sports announcing history there's a couple classic calls there's do you believe in miracles Mm -hmm. the giants win the pennant Mm -hmm. he's moving like a tremendous machine
4: yeah secretariat yeah
6: we have a new one in track and field
4: Oh, okay, finally. So where does this one come from?
6: This comes from Runner's World contributor Cajal Denehy, who was announcing the Irish University Championships in the female 4x400. In the last lap, the race looked all but over with a large gap, but third-place Michelle Finn starts to close. In the last 250 meters, though, Cajal's attention shifts to the fifth-place runner, Phil Healy from UCC. This is what it sounded like. standing. and Michelle Finn blaster jets of the steeplechill specialists are being turned on with 250 to go eight meters to get there six meters, oh, you meters. Gonna get she shot. is gonna go past the UCL it is out of their feet Michelle Finn the future Olympian powers on by here comes CIT another effort in a home stretch. and here comes UCC I we think we're gonna get third call UCC from the depths of
4: that call is incredible. We loved watching that around the office when we first saw it. And what you kind of can't see in the video is that Phil Healy, from fifth, on the final turn, she closes that gap and finishes. She actually, her lean at the tape, because it's pretty much a photo finish, is so forward. She face plants onto the ground, onto the track. Her teammates surround her, and it's just an incredible win for her, especially coming from the depths of hell, as Cajal said.
6: So the video and the call went viral. It was everywhere. And in fact, Cajal actually tweeted out, one day a race you commentate in could go viral. At that pivotal moment, don't screech like a slaughtered chicken.
4: That's a great way to end the kick this week. And thanks for joining us this week, Kit.
6: Thanks, Brian.
2: It's what i The road can be rough.
5: Tides can turn, but if you were to know yourself, don't have to worry
4: about nothing else.
0: So I That's it for this week's Runner's World show. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm David Willey, Editor-in-Chief. Please let us know what you think of this and any other episodes by leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes. This episode was produced by Sylvia Ryerson with help from Christine Fennessy, Brian Dalek, and Rachel Swaby. The music you heard at the top of the show and you're hearing right now was written and performed by Thunderhoof. Join us next week when we will introduce you to a local celebrity, someone we like to call the Mayor of Running.
4: Years seem short. Sure days seem long, but it's alright if your heart is strong.